0: And so I think, as a Christian, to aspire to be a child of God, to aspire to follow Jesus, we would naturally come and look at these words, uh, and and take them and be like, "Wow, like am I am I doing that?"
1: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Absurdity. I'm so glad that you are joining us this week. This is probably the first topic that someone has come to me with that I haven't really explored. I haven't had many conversations about or otherwise, and so I'm really excited to dive into the interview today with Luke Steen, who is a friend of mine from college and is currently pastoring in the Atlanta metro area. But before we dive into that, I just want to let you know of a couple things. First of all, last episode, we talked about Sway Hammocks, S-W-A-Y-Y. It's run by Seth Hill. And I actually got something wrong with it. I misunderstood, and that's my fault, but they are not in pre-order phase. They are actually selling. So they are full on selling hammocks at this point. So if you want to head on to swayhammocks.com, you won't have to wait as long as if you were pre-ordering. They are full on selling now and they're in that stage. And you can track with that journey. And if you have no idea what Sway is, if this is the first time that you're that you're joining us then I just want to tell you, Sway Hammocks is an awesome company founded by a friend of mine who was a student missionary for a year. He served overseas and, and has a heart for the outdoors, has a heart for mission work and otherwise. And so he's created this company to to give back in a sense. And so what he's doing is he's creating insulated hammocks and he's also wanting to create more outdoor gear than just that, but that's where he's starting and a percentage of the proceeds will always go to mission organizations or charity organizations in order to make a difference in the world. And so I love that. I love the mission-minded movement that he is that he is creating with this. And so if you want to check out Sway Hammocks and you've wanted an insulated hammock, it's basically like hanging a sleeping bag between two trees, and it's awesome. I love hammocking. Hammocking is one of my favorite things in the world. So go ahead and check out Sway Hammocks, S-W-A-Y-Y, hammocks.com. Next thing I want to let you know is that within the next month or so I've been working really hard to uh, advance absurdity into more than just what it is now and I've commissioned a few things and I'm I'm working on investing fully into this as a as an independent brand and so we have some things in the fire we have some things cooking and within the next month or two I'm hoping to reveal to you a little bit about the direction that we're headed and how this will grow and how you can be a part of it and so really excited For those things, be on the lookout. You might even be able to see a couple Easter eggs on the website right now if you were to go, and so you are more than welcome to check that out. But I'm really, really excited about where the absurdity is going to go and how we're going to grow together as we continue to change the way that we have conversations and we continue to address some of the absurdities in the world, whether it's in or out of religion. And so I'm just so, so excited that this is happening. That this is something that has come to reality, and I'm so uh, honored to be a part, and honored that you would take time out of your day to listen. So, without further ado, I'm going to let this interview with Luke Steen play out. I hope you enjoy, and I just want to let you know, I never bring on, and I think I say this a couple times in the actual interview, but I, you know, I don't bring on necessarily experts in the field because I believe that when we have conversations with each other none of us are experts in many of the fields that we have conversations about and so part of why i bring on people that are exploring or par- or journeying through some of these topics is because i want to figure out and explore this idea of how we are having these conversations and so while there will occasionally be full on experts in the field and i'll make that known when we do i want to give a voice to those who are having conversations who are exploring difficult topics And I want to continue to have these difficult conversations. And so I do hope you enjoy. The other thing is, and I need to let you know, we recorded this in my apartment. And for some reason throughout the recording, my dog decided that she wanted to be a part of it. And so you can occasionally hear her growl in the background and you can hear her running around on occasion. So I apologize for that. I love my dog and I wish that she had been quiet. That was like the one hour of the day that she wasn't. I do hope you enjoy this episode of The Absurdity with Luke Steen, Nonviolent Peacemakers, featuring both Luke and my dog, Sugar. All right, hey guys, I am here with Luke Steen. We are sitting in my apartment, so you may get a little bit of echo, and that's just because it's not acoustically treated. That's okay. I am super excited about the conversation we're going to have today about nonviolent peacemaking alongside a man from Texas who is a hockey player. So this is going to be interesting. But Luke, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Uh, Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? All that jazz.
0: Yeah, yeah, so... First, I just want to thank you for letting me come and be on your podcast. You're welcome. Um, I Think it's pretty, pretty cool what you're doing. Uh, listened to a couple of them, uh, and think, you know, wow, this is this is something definitely that uh, that is needed. Uh, some of the conversations that you're having. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is Luke Steen. I'm a pastor in Marietta, Georgia, at the Marietta Adventist Church. Um, Born or well, I wasn't born um, in Texas, but grew up in Texas. Was
1: so gonna say you weren't born. Might period. as
0: well. Might as well have been born in Texas. Um, and grew up playing ice hockey, which is the greatest sport uh, ever invented, ever conceived. Um, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much me. How long? Uh, how long have you been pastoring? I've been pastoring officially <laughs> since August
1: one. Okay, so perfect. We're both. Veterans yes. we've both been in this for so long yes. me for a little over a year and you for a little over two months so Tenured. we are we are good to go we yeah. are the authorities in this field for sure know everything <laughs> I mean yeah that's been we've known everything since college really <laughs> I you if you want to really get down to it so Luke what is what has been your journey to lead you all leads you to where you are now on on the topic of nonviolent peacemaking
0: yeah so this, this journey has kind of been uh, a weird one. Um, it started when the movie for Hacksaw Ridge came out. I was sitting in, in class, in my Greek class at, at university, and uh, I was talking with a student about, about guns and gun control and, and those sort of issues, and, and uh, Hacksaw Ridge had, had just come out, and um, I was working with a, with a local church to hand out tracks, um, a small booklet about the faith of Desmond Doss uh, at movie theaters. And and it was just really fascinating to me because one could argue that the reason he gets this Medal of Honor is because he was a non combat or not, not necessarily, let me, let me rephrase that. The reason he gets this Medal of Honor is because he saved these people's lives. But the reason he got a movie made about him was because he did it while never carrying a weapon. I mean, saving those lives is, is remarkable. Um, I mean, there have been, I mean, there there are Medal of Honor winners, and they've done some absolutely phenomenal things and been incredibly courageous. Uh, Desmond Doss did it without ever picking up a weapon. Uh, he got ridiculed for it, and and yet he he stuck it out in in, in a world war, and so that kind of just, in a way, peaked. Uh, a thought on, okay, um, is there an alternative way to dealing with violence in this world? And then uh, I had a conversation with a friend who's a pastor in Seattle. His name's Abner, um, and he introduced me to a pastor um, out on the west coast who was preaching a series on the, on the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7. And in his sermon series, he talked about uh, Jesus' most radical idea, enemy love, and after listening to that sermon, I was just kind of gripped about about the words that Jesus gives in, in that sermon, because he says uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 43, that you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And that verse just kind of stuck with me because you turn on the news and, or, I mean, you live in the South or, um, I mean, you just kind of just grow up in in the United States and you hear like three things really, that there's good barbecue. um, We have a really great military and that God has blessed us. Right. And, and so it's almost like love your, love your neighbor but hate your enemy and your enemy is these terrorists, right? But Jesus comes on the scene and he's saying, no, love your enemy. Pray for those who who are trying to do you harm. Um, and so that's kind of started a journey on what does it mean to what, what I would call it, become a nonviolent peacemaker. Not Not necessarily a pacifist because that's to be passive and not to do anything. That's just kind of like lay down and die, but to seek to establish peace between two parties or two groups or or whatever um in a nonviolent way hmm.
1: man i you know i've i've led a church for or i've led two churches for over a year now i've never picked up a weapon and I can tell you, sometimes you kind of want to, and I, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Someone's gonna probably call nine one one on me and be like, "There's a violent pastor on the loose." That's not what I mean. I just sometimes you're like, man, if I could just hit you on the head with some grace right now, that would be that would be wonderful. Like if I could just get you to understand this and like get it through your thick skull, that would be great. And you realize like you have to find other other ways to teach it to them. Sometimes even just saying it bluntly to them isn't enough. Sometimes you have to keep kind of saying it and saying it and then they experienced it themselves in some way. And then it sinks in. And for you, it seems like your journey coincided with these things that you were being, that you were encountering. And it kind of hits you from two different ways, whether it's watching the movies and then, and then being exposed to the teachings of Jesus this other way. And so I kind of like that, that two worlds collide sort of thing. And I I appreciate that journey a lot. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, So you're on here to convince me of something, as if I don't fully agree with you. And maybe I do, maybe I don't. I honestly don't know, because this is the first time we're having this conversation, really, to this depth, right? So you're convinced me of nonviolent peacemaking, of of that we should all be nonviolent peacemakers, that we should seek to to, to live a life of nonviolence. And, and you can, you can clarify any of that as much as you want, but, but so what is your current posture, right? Where, where are you, where's your starting point today? What, what is the message you're saying?
0: Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it all just, I think it all begins with, uh, as, as a Christian, um, what is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right. And, and I think if, if, if you're going to give yourself, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then that, that means that you want to be associated with the man Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was born, uh, grew up in, in, in Israel, right, in that, that vicinity area, um, was crucified, and then his followers said he, was, he rose from the dead, right? You, you're, you're naturally associating yourself with, with this man, right? Um, and, and, and the biblical narrative is that, that this man is actually God, right? And, and so you're, you're saying, I'm going to follow him. And, and as a Christian, I think it's important to really take that seriously on what it means to follow him. And uh, actually, one of his disciples commentating on, on the life of Christ in, uh, in his letter, one of his letters to the churches, um, he says in 1 John that if you're going to abide in God, if you're going to really abide in God, then you ought to walk as Jesus walked, and I think that's kind of a, a very serious claim. I, I think that can become an ideal, like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, yeah, I can aspire to that, but I'll never actually achieve that. But if 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 you read the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, you start to see that that really you you can you can live a life of abiding in God by loving your neighbor. By loving your enemy, by, by not showing partiality, by not um, withholding good from the people that you see suffering, because that's that's what Jesus did in all four accounts of the gospels of, of his life. Because he's out there serving others and loving them. And and with that comes this this wonderful sermon, this this epic sermon. And a good portion of it is given to seeking alternative ways to um, what's the word? Uh, de-escalate a violent situation, and that's why that's where the term nonviolent peacemaker comes into play. Because he starts off the sermon, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." But in that, in the beatitudes, he says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be a child of God." And then, as he wraps up his uh, talk about enemy love, he says, "So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven." And so I think as a Christian, to aspire to be a child of God, to aspire to follow Jesus, we would naturally come and look at these words uh, and, and take them and be like, wow, like, am I, am I doing that? Because I think it's very easy for us to just kind of, a terrorist go, comes into our country and blows up a mall or does it, uh, a shooting or, or something like that. And for us to be like, no, we like, you know, justice, we need to, this man needs to have justice. He needs, he deserves to die. But yet Jesus's call is actually to seek alternative ways in which we can love our enemies, even those who want to kill us, in non-violent, like you know, without violence, without using violence or or anything like that. And so, um, and so I think it really just begins w- with taking the claims of Jesus very seriously if we're going to be a Christian.
1: Well, and so, now that makes sense to me, and I I, I think this isn't a criticism on you I, I do think islamic terrorism or some of these other other routes of either domestic or international terrorism i think that's kind of the low-hanging fruit as far as enemies right because those are the easy enemies to spot but i think what you're also saying is is right that guy in the church that you disagree with or that has been after you for a while or that kid in in college that you that you hated right it, it, this is this is kind of like anyone that you would consider an enemy or anyone not an enemy right i don't Yes, it goes that far, but I would say,
0: Someone based on your, your logic,
1: yeah, right. So, so literally, anyone who's basically not your friend, yeah, <laughs> um, in a, in an antagonistic way, anyone who anyone who's 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 close to your bad side, that's kind of the person that you're saying you're called to love. Yes, to pray for those who persecute you for any reason, right? It's just kind of persecute. Yep. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I I can understand that. I can see that. But let me. Can I ask you this? And this is kind of nitpicking, right? So anyone who is a disciple or wants to be a follower of Jesus, if they want to abide, they have to walk as Jesus walked, right? So what if, what if someone says to you, okay, well the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right? So you're abiding in Jesus because you're because you're walking like him and in nonviolence. But what about this other area that you've not yet abided in him on because you're not homeless, walking from town to town like Jesus did, right? So how far would you say? that it goes as far as abiding in Jesus and walking as he walked. Are you talking in principle or are you talking in actual deeds in what you're giving up specific, specifically or otherwise?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, that's what I think is so awesome about the, about the biblical narrative is that Jesus doesn't necessarily ever give um, these like super, I mean, he does give practical advice, right? But he almost, he, he really more so talks on principles. And and then allows us to be kind of creative with our personalities and whatnot on how we can live out these principles. Because in in the in First John where it talks about he who abides in him ought to walk the same way, John is talking about love and how God is love and and to be a loving Christian you're going to keep the commandments of God and um, and to abide in God means to to fulfill these commandments and 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 uh, and really the the commandments in, in that, that God talks about, He says are hung on, I mean, the Law and the Prophets hang on two commandments, which is to love God with everything you have and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the question arises, well, who is your neighbor? Hmm. Right? Well, I mean, it's, we can say, oh, it's the person who lives in the apartment next to us. Or we could say it's the person who lives in the country next to us. Or we could say it's the person who's moved into the, building next to us and is preparing to try and kill us they're they all function in the office of neighbor because they're they're our neighbors, they're the people around us, um and so, so that would include enemies. And so regardless of how you um of how you kind of see it, it all comes back to the principle of like if you're gonna if you're going to walk as he walked, it's it's walking in love. Meaning it's it's seeking ways in which you can actively bring peace to a world filled with violence in nonviolent ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree.
1: I and so it sounds like you're saying principle because I I think and, and I get this this valid this valid critique that nonbelievers or or just people who are are more um I don't want to say liturgically minded but more more works minded. And I don't mean in a legalistic way, but they would say like, okay, cool. So you're doing it in this area, but not in this area. Right. But it's principles. And I think other than just principles, it's, it's Jesus working on your heart one way. Uh, and in this area, because this is the area right now in your life that needed to be chiseled out that needed to be focused on. And I think Jesus hones in on that sometimes. Uh Yeah. I think there are times where Jesus calls people just like he called the disciples and they left everything and followed him. Right. And they left everything period. Yep. Um, but sometimes it's, all right, I need you to leave this one tiny thing before we can move on, and we need to baby step out of this. Yeah. Um, and sometimes baby steps are bigger, sometimes they're smaller. But so I, I, I appreciate that answer because I think that is a valid concern that people have, and I think that's a distinction that needs to be that needs to be made. So appreciate that. Why? Well, I guess I can't ask why you decided to embrace it because I think we kind of have an idea, right? From based on your journey. But let me ask you this: What what do you think might be some common misconceptions about nonviolence? Yeah,
0: I th- I think there are many misconceptions. I think that when when you when you kind of say that oh I'm a nonviolent advocate or or advocate I'm a nonviolent peacemaker or I'm a pacifist or something like that people people tend to just assume that either you're a hippie um, that you're you know this sort of mentality of make love not war. Um, or you're uh, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, like you're gonna just lay down and never not put up any type of any type of fight, you know, if 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 I can use that word. Um, and so like, or oh, you're against military. You're like the Westside Baptist Church. Um, am I allowed to say that?
1: We mean Westboro Baptist Church. You said West Side <laughs> Baptist Church. Yeah, the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> Lice. You know, you're like the Westboro Baptist
0: Church or something like that, where you're gonna stand out with signs that say like, "Oh, you're because you're in the military, you're gonna go to hell." You know this this type of um, and so people people, especially in the U.S. and like in uh, in a country that is realistically the most militaristic country in the history of mankind, meaning that we have invested so much resources, so many of our resources into building up a very very strong military almost like the military and god are synonymous with within the us culture um, and so i think the, the misconception is that you're soft that you're weak that that you're against anything american because it's you know we need to have guns we need to be able to defend our country um, where we need to be strong we need to make america great again um, and so i mean there are many misconceptions that come with you know, talking about anything non-violent. Uh, one one of them is a scenario that is like a fight or flight response that we all have, which is what happens when somebody comes into your house and has a gun, and you have your wife there or you have kids. How you're just gonna like, let that happen? You're just gonna hey, here you go, like you know, hey, rape, rape my wife because I'm I'm not I'm not for violence. I'm not gonna defend myself. Is a is a conception that some people have, um, and I think those. Those are conceptions that haven't really been thought out. And that's really kind of sad to me is mm-hmm. as a Christian, I think we should wrestle with those issues, not just assume like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy a gun. And if anyone comes to my house, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to shoot him. I think as a follower of Christ, we should look at his words and, and be like, okay, like, is that, is that loving my enemy? I don't, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think the term nonviolent peacemaker makes the most sense as to really Christ's way of going about nonviolence because nonviolent means it's almost like negative like you're it's not anti-violence but it's like there's there's no violence but peacemaking is a is seeking to establish something or seeking to do something mm-hmm. and so as a peacemaker as a nonviolent peacemaker you're seeking to you know uh de-escalate the situation
1: just not with violent means mm-hmm. so Okay, let, let let's dive in on this because I wanna I wanna press you on this. And and I and I do wanna make this clear, just as a general thing on this podcast, I don't bring people on here who are experts in things no. very often. Like like Luke is not an expert in nonviolent peacemaking, right? This <laughs> no. is the journey that he's on that I want him to share yeah. and talk about because I believe it's important to create conversation. And conversations happen between non experts all the time. Yes. And so I think I think it's valuable to have these conversations and to share because I think this is an important thing, right? So I want to I want to push you on this, and it's okay if you don't have an answer, right? Because yeah. there are tons of stuff I don't have the answer to, even though I'm perfect. So <laughs> here here's what it's, so to the so w- someone comes in and wants to rape your wife, right? So if you're a nonviolent peacemaker, like what do you say? What do you say to that situation? Then if if there's a misconception about just letting it happen, right? So yeah. so what do you say to that you, situation? Then? Yeah. How do you how do you respond? Um, and
0: and I mean, you know, I've thought about it. Um. I mean, I when when Carissa and I were moving to Atlanta, I I did a lot of research into really safe areas to live in. Um, I wanted a gated community. I wanted, you know, I did a background check of people living in the, of you know this the area for for a criminal record, things like that. Because I mean, I want my. I mean, I think it's just common sense. You want your loved ones to be safe. Yeah. Um. And and so like with the thought of okay, somebody comes into our house, and tries to you know, rape my wife. Um, you know, naturally the hockey player in me would be like, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna wreck you. Like, I'm sorry, like this like bye. Um, I'm Texan and I'm a hockey player. Like sure. know, that's like two things that are that are just like, hey, look, like you came in the wrong house, bud. Yeah. Like I'm sorry. Um, but both the with the calling of, of Jesus to, to love my enemy, I think really the first thing that, that I would seek to do, and I don't know if I mean I know this is the right thing to start off with i don't know how, how where else it would go from here but i would pray and i might pray out loud just just because i'm i'm and, and i and believe that jesus is going to intervene in that situation um but there are so many stories of somebody coming into into a house to to rob to rape to to kill and the and the the homeowner saying before you do this or before something you know this happens let me make you a cup of coffee or let me make you a cup of tea or something like that and before you know it after having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea the person leaves or uh, somebody comes in and you know and it's uh hey all right you know this person isn't going to leave and so, what do you what do you do in this situation? And I think that's where there's a a difference between force and violence. And I think we often don't think about it as much on oh we think force is violence, right? But I would say that violence is is trying to to, to injure someone, to, yeah, seek, to harm, or, to seek yeah, harm, yeah, yeah. right? So the person who breaks into my house is trying to is trying to harm right? I mean, if they're trying to steal, then, you know, maybe they won't be. If they come in with a gun intended to rape my wife or, or to kill me or, you know, to murder, they're seeking to do me harm, right? So, in that situation, then I, I would hope that, you know, obviously, I hope Jesus would just intervene. The person would leave. I could have a Bible study with them. You know, they come to Christ. They they get baptized, like, a week later, you know, praise, mm-hmm. praise Jesus, right? But if that doesn't happen, and it just kind of seems like God is silent at the moment, um, if it comes down to it, like, you know, I don't know what I would do. You know, do I jump at them? And do I just try to defend <laughs> so them? So you're
1: saying, so, so you're saying like using force to subdue is different. Would you, would you argue that that, that is still within the confines of nonviolence so much as you're not doing un, unnecessary harm? I would,
0: I would think you would, I think I would have to wrestle with it, but I mean, police officers get taught this all the time, which is really, you should deescalate the situation. As much as possible. It's not, oh, let me just pull out the gun and end the situation. It's, Hey, let me try to de-escalate the situation. Whether that's talk someone down who's got a temper. Whether that is, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what other ways to de-escalate. Yeah, yeah, situation, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and so, I, so I think like, I think as a as a follower of Christ, my, the 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 call in that situation is to first pray, be like, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do, um, and then try to find a clever way. Right. Mm-hmm to love that individual. Yeah. So that they don't have to harm you, your wife, your family, or themselves. Because ultimately they do harm themselves because they're gonna either either there's there potentially could be a fight, there could potentially be like a wrestling, um, there could potentially them going to jail for a very long time. And and so that that's harming them too.
1: Yeah.
0: And I didn't take that into consideration. I also need to take into consideration what has brought them to this point, and and I mean I. Don't, That's I don't, a lot to think about in a have, half a second
1: period, right? I don't like, know,
0: like yeah, like and so I think like oh Jesus, I don't know, I don't know what to do, but I think I would pray out loud.
1: Well, is there room for, in your perspective and on your journey for where you're at? Do you think there's room for calling the police when something like that happens? Right. So so what's the role of the police force? in situations like this where violence would be kind of an option, right? Where force would be an option. I think policing for littering, speeding, general safety. Yeah, sure, we we're okay with that, right? Yeah. But but well, maybe not speeding. But maybe that's just a personal thing. Speed, l- speed limits are optional. <laughs> they're they're recommendations. Right? At least in Texas they are. <laughs> so Right, but okay, so in this situation someone breaks in your house, right? Like like are you saying that we shouldn't call the police and just seek to de-escalate? Are you saying we should de escalate and call the police? Do you think the police oh. have no role in this? Like, okay, because I know that there's someone listening and if they made it to this point and there's steam coming out of the ears, like this <laughs> never is the call, the police. Yeah, never right? call like, the police. Yeah, right. Like so I think we're trying to be reasonable here. Yes. I, I, I do think we yes. are. I think but first because thing there's thing. someone that's like, nope, my gun's already out, that first, dude is dead. First thing you do is
0: is while you're praying, you call the police. I mean, no. I mean, I yeah. I think you definitely. I mean, that's okay. that's okay. what po- police exist for. I know in our country they get a bad reputation, and and there are definitely some some bad cops out there, but there are those good cops, mm. and and they they do exist for a reason. And even even Jesus, I mean, or not, it wasn't Jesus. John the Baptist told them to be fair, yeah. You know, to do their job well. He didn't tell them, hey, quit. You know, quit being a a soldier. Um, you know, he, I mean, he understood like they, Yeah. they existed, they had an office and they, and he respected that. Um, and so I think, yeah, you call, you call the police and you hope that they get there before, before you have to decide, okay, am I going to do force or are all my tactics of trying to make him coffee, pizza, whatever else I can think of in my fridge? Uh, does he want to watch a movie? No, I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like when you, when you've exhausted all the clever ways you can come up with on how to love that individual, you hope the police are there. Before you get to the point of Yeah, okay, right. You're
1: kind of stalling for time at the same time. Do and, I
0: have to use force to de-escalate yeah. this situation?
1: Okay. Um let me say this. Now, what would you say to the Christian who's hearing this or otherwise, who's already had a home invasion, right? And they're 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 sounding to this, right? Because you and I are kind of naive in that we haven't really had to deal with something like that. And the home invasion is Well. Well, let me say um, home vision is an example here we're not this is just we're trying to make this as not as black and white as possible but we're trying to give some tangible real life scenarios that would happen i guess right so what do you say to the christian who's hearing this who agrees with you or whatever but they've already been in the situation where someone's broken into their house they've already given into that blind rage and they've already either killed or hurt or or hurt someone because they're defending their family right right if you're saying that nonviolent peacemaking is the way to go then it seems like implicitly you're saying that the other way to go is sinful. Um, and you can push me back on that if you want, but that's that's kind of what it sounds like. So to the person who's already been there, right? Yeah. Like they, like I see this kind of like the, um, the abstinence talk and we talk about how you get, must remain pure, must remain pure, must remain pure, and we must remain abstinent. And in the process, we're kind of almost condemning those who are not cure, quote unquote, anymore, because they've already made that decision once. And and so in the process, we're implicitly talking about those who've already given in. What what do you say to them?
0: Yeah, so I think, I mean, I, I do think that in, in those situations, when you, when you harm another individual, I do think you need to ask for forgiveness, okay. um, because I, I don't think it was God's ever intention for death to happen. I think the Bible is pretty clear that death is a result of sin. Um, and so, to or injury or violence as a result of sin, and so to partake in violence or, you know, killing or, or whatever is is really a sinful act. Whether people want to try to water it down or whatever, there there was never, never was it intended for there to be death or violence or anything like that. And so, I do think that those acts are sinful. Um, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrestled with that mm-hmm. when he was uh, trying to. Grasp, does, does he try to help with the assassination of Hitler? Does he not? Um, but I do think that God is merciful. You know, and, and the Bible talks about repentance, which is essentially to turn the other way. And so I do think, I do think some repentance needs to come as a result of that, just because I think if we're going to take following Jesus seriously, then we need to seek to do so in a nonviolent peacemaking <laughs> manner.
1: So yeah, so you're saying like I'm not, you know, we're not condemning you if you've already done this. But it sounds like sounds like what you're saying is like if you've done it, yeah, it wasn't the most ideal thing, and it may have been for what you knew at the time. But just because it's the case doesn't mean that it's okay. There's a lot of stuff that I've done that I thought was the best at the time, and I look back and I'm like, man, I should never have done that. Yeah. And so I asked for repent. I, I repent. I asked for forgiveness. Another So you're kind of putting it on that level of yes. saying, look, it's there, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate you for it. I'm not gonna cast you out of the church for yes. it. But I, I think there needs to be a change of heart to say, is, okay, so does that, is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And,
0: and I mean, I think, I think that, you know, if somebody's is coming into your house and, and you did have a gun and, um, and you ended up, you know, in self-defense, um, killing the individual, you know, I, I mean, that's a tough situation yeah. to, to deal with yeah. and, and I mean, who knows what that does to to you as an individual to to have to to deal with the fact that like you have taken another individual's life. And I think Jesus is is very clear on like Him being present and being by your side whenever you're grieving or whenever you're going through hardships or, or things like that or not knowing how to deal with emotions. Um, and and so I, I I definitely think that you know there are situations where you're just like, hey, I didn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, and so I just I just acted. Um, but I think as a, as a follower of Christ, uh, I think that that when when He works in your heart, when He comes and He lives in your heart, you start to feel for your neighbors, for your enemies, for for people's lives in general, uh, because you ultimately want them to know how how wonderfully uh, loved they are by by the person that you follow, by the God that you serve.
1: Gotcha. Um, you know, I think there's one more, and and I'm going to speak to this one. I think. Um, there's one more thing that, that I think comes up and that's there are people I have friends in my life that have said this to me too there are people that just say when something like that happens like I just go into this blind rage right so like the, the picture we've painted is you're sitting in your home and someone breaks in but what about when you go home and you catch them already in the act of the rape or the act yeah. of I mean there was a guy just released or just, just acquitted earlier No one, no criminal charges because he walked in and saw someone raping his four year old daughter and he killed them he just went into a blind rage. Yeah. And I get it. Like it's your it's your daughter and and I don't have a daughter. I have a dog and yeah, they're not comparable in that respect. Yeah. To some people they might be. To me I I I love my dog. She's a member of my family. She is my only family here, but they go into this blind rage and what I might say to that and maybe you will agree or disagree with this is to say like look, if you know that you are someone that goes into a blind rage when something like this happens and you just see red and that's it and you just act like that's a heart thing that you need to deal with. You're saying like, I can't control it. I can't control it. Well, yeah, that's why you follow Jesus who teaches you to control, who teaches you, who turns you away from those things and otherwise. And so I think if you're someone that just sees red a lot and you have a temper problem or otherwise, like you need to see that, that those violent temptations in your heart are something to repent or, or turn away from. So I don't, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but that that's what I would say, even as a pastor just period even outside of this conversation if you know that you would give into a blind rage that's a sign that's a problem
0: yeah i think that i mean you know first off how tough is it to walk in on a situation like that you know um and i mean there 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 are these stories out there of just some complete atrocities uh you know i mean Uh, for a kid first off just for a kid to deal to go through anything and most of the time it's a family member most of the time it's a close relative i mean those things are just sickening to to you know to your stomach because a kid is so defenseless you know so vulnerable um you know women uh you know i know i grew up in a house full of women and i know that there are some strong independent women out there you know but but I also know that my sister walks away with what she calls a kitty on her keyring to where she could straight up puncture somebody's, uh, you know, rib or something like that if she were to punch someone hard enough with, with it. Um, and and so, like, uh, because there are these atrocities that happen to women. Um, I mean, if when we look at a world, it's just filled with violence. And, and so it can almost be like a cop-out, per se, of oh, I just get filled with rage. You know, I don't even know what happened. And, and if you're someone who knows that that happens to you you know that you have a temper you know that you can you can just escalate just you know flip of a flip of a coin really you should be seeking Jesus to come in and and help with that you know to 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 just come in and, and live in your heart so that ultimately uh you you know something doesn't happen and, and you're not able to think about what you're doing because really you should be conscious of you know what what are you doing with your hands? What do you, you know, like, um, and, and so I think that first off, it's just a tough situation. But, but second off, um, I mean, it is, it, it is a heart issue, like you said. And, and I think, you know, Jesus is, is able and capable enough to come in and, and help with that. You just have to be willing to, to let him.
1: Mm. All right. I'm going to. I'm going to play ball with you. We talked about this before, the cast, and I'm going to I'm going to give you your chance to run the bases on this because I know that earlier you said something that even in my mind, I kind of went there too, and you're really excited to answer this this okay. this misconception or this this question, right? But you said that violence was never intended or death was never intended and it's always the result of sin, right? Okay. All right. All right. So I'm going to pull out the big guns. We're going to pull out the big guns on this. Right. So you look at the Old Testament where God ordains violence from on the behalf of Israel. Or you look at him wiping out all of mankind except for Noah with a flood. And it's God committing these acts of violence or, as some might say, genocide. So you've got these acts or even you look at Jesus, who, while nonviolent, said, oh, well, you, you Pharisees are broods of vipers, basically cursing them out from in colloquialism. Or you look at him driving them out of the temple with a whip and flipping tables, and you say, "Well, that's violent, right?" Now I think that one's more covered by the difference between harm and violence, but or I mean, not harm, force and violence. But so, so have a feel, have the field day that you've wanted with this. How do you respond to the violent God of the Old Testament? Oh
0: man, I mean, how much time do we have? No, I mean, it, first off, um, it's never smart to try to answer for God. Um, I think Job's friends realize that at the end of Job when, when God just is kind of like, hey, all of your responses have, have really not been an accurate portrayal of how I'm handling this situation because God had a full... And for those of you not familiar with the, with the book of Job, basically it starts out with Job is a very blessed man by God. Satan goes to God and says, hey, um, the only reason he's serving you is because you bless him. If you take things from him, his family, his health... Etc. Then he's going to curse you to your face, and God says, "Okay, I will give you, I will give you the the authority to to take his family and his health and, and things like that." Um, and and Satan does that, and and Job never curses God, um, but Job's three friends come along and try to say that because because Job had done something bad, all these bad things were happening, and so at the end of the story, God comes back and. Uh, basically, tells his three friends, "Hey, look, um, you trying to answer for me? You gave wrong answers. You weren't accurately per- portraying what I, how I was handling the situation because I knew the whole thing from the beginning. Um, and so, so I think it's I don't think it's ever smart to try to answer for God. But I do think in the Old Testament there are some there are some things that we can see. Um, first off, we compare Israel in the Old Testament and what and what God has done through them." The same way that we, as a as a country, do things militarily or like you know with regarding the military. So, you know, we see, you know, God kind of ordaining or or it seems like God ordained uh, Israel to go in and kill everything that moves, basically, right? Is is how we we kind of read the text and we're like, oh my goodness, God is savage, right? Um, but in reality like we drop drones on cities that we think one terrorist leader or a, two terrorist leaders are staying in and we level a city filled with civilians and things like that and i'm not saying oh, oh you know obviously people know that civ- you know killing civilians and babies and you know um, mm-hmm. is wrong right so I'm, I'm not trying to say like oh like God gets off because we do the same thing. Yeah, not, that was going to be my first I'm, question. It's like, "Oh, okay, so God so I'm, because we do it, God does. I'm not saying okay, that. Gotcha. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is is that we we often are we look in the Old Testament through the eyes of where we're at today and we're like, "Oh my goodness, God is absolutely savage." Mm-hmm. Right? He's he's killing all these people. But but really, if we if we compare Israel Israel's conquests in the in the Old Testament to the conquests of other nations that were living at that time, Israel is actually kind of mild. Actually, the Bible omits what other kingdoms would have glorified, such as the Assyrians.
1: Oh, he's bringing <laughs> out the books. He's bringing out the big guns.
0: Yeah, so, so the Assyrians uh, were a kingdom by Israel, and uh, they, were, they were fairly violent. Um, And by fairly violent, I mean uh, they were super, super violent. Because the Syrian king, Snackrib, he goes on this rant to describe his victory uh, after a battle. He says, "Uh, I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their previous lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. My prancing steeds, harnessed for my riding, plunged into the streams of their blood as into a river. The wheels of my war chariot, which brings low the wicked and the evil, were bespattered with blood and filth. With the bodies of their warriors, I filled the plain like grass. Their testicles I cut off and tore out their privates. Well,
1: we have earned the explicit tag for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's that's, fine. But
0: that's from the Assyrian king Sennacherib, right? And and so like there there are these passages in the Old Testament that seem super violent, but actually they're rather you know PG compared to what other kingdoms would have documented in their victories, right? But but that doesn't necessarily answer the question, right? I'm all, I'm still just building the foundation to 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 not necessarily answer for God, but but to just kind of share the view that I've taken since mm-hmm. since being on this journey, and and that is that. That you you have in the Old Testament, you have what it seems like God doing some some pretty bad things. Um, but if you if you start from just the beginning, right? If you just open up the narrative from the beginning, you see God creating all of these things, right? You see God creating the earth. You see God making the days. You see God um, creating man, telling ble- to, telling them that they're blessed, be fruitful and multiply right and then you have man sinning falling into sin and then right after sin you have death right you have Cain killing Abel and and this is the first death right mm-hmm. so how would god respond to that well actually what he does is he's actually fairly merciful to Cain i mean he marks him so that he won't ever be killed mm-hmm. right but but sin just kind of continues to progress and progress and and what you see is almost God seeking to establish peace with the least violent way possible or the least um, it's the the least use of His force,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And then you and you read that through the Old Testament, and what you do is you start to see like God would 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 have have like Gideon ready to go into battle, and then he minimizes Gideon's group, and then Gideon goes in and, and, and wins, right? You you have that time and time again where it's like, I mean, this, there's still violence, right? There's still war, um, but God is God is doing it in a way that is so drastically different than any way that we would conceive, oh, let's go to war, right? Let's go fight a battle. Let's you know hey let me make sure that i have the upper hand here god is like actually you're going to you're if you're if you're going to do this you're going to do it in a way that is 100% known that it's only because of me being with you right um a second a second thing is um in the old testament is that you yeah you have these stories um of where God says that he's gonna run out and kill kill everything that breathes, everything that, you know, every woman, child, everything, whatever, right? If it's breathing, if it's if it's got cells, if it whatever, right, kill it, massacre it. But then like a couple chapters later, you see God getting mad at the at, at uh at Israel, right? Or at Joshua and his army or or whatever, right? You see him, you see him getting getting mad at them because um wait where was i going with that we might have to cut this part out because nope too late it's in man I, my train of thought sugar yeah me.
1: sorry guys if you've been hearing some sounds going on uh, my dog <laughs> cannot stay chill and like it's been annoying i don't know why she's suddenly so hyper so i'm be, sorry she wants to be a part of the podcast uh, yeah she really does she, you can hear her growling occasionally or like running around because i'm trying to keep her as distracted as possible while being unobtrusive as possible yeah.
0: no so yeah so you have so you have like joshua right and, and god is telling him hey look go in and kill everything in the promised land go in and kill everything if it, if it has a cell right if it's breathing if it whatever right <laughs> and 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 joshua it, it almost seems like joshua goes in and does that right but then in a couple chapters later the same group of people still exists and God doesn't say, you didn't do it. Now, in some chapters, God says, hey, you didn't do what I said. You didn't stamp out, mm-hmm. you know, the Canaanites or whatever, right? But but how how is it that when God does say, go in and kill everything that breathes, and it says, Joshua obeyed the Lord, but then like a couple chapters later, hey, the Hittites are still there, or the Amorites are still there, or the Moabites are still there, or, you know, like, mm-hmm. how why is that? Whenever, like, it says, oh, Joshua obeyed the Lord, but... The Lord commanded him to go kill everything that breathes, and so uh, a thought that I've had, and, and some some scholars have have stated this is is that the statement where God basically says to go into to the city or go into the kingdom or whatever and massacre it outright is kind of like a metaphor per se, not in a, in a way of oh it's a metaphor for you know. Um, that it's just a metaphor so that god gets off the hook right but but some scholars are arguing that that it's 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 or maybe it's not, maybe metaphor is a bad word do you mean use. hyperbole yes
1: do you mean hyperbole cuz that's where that's that's where i am on this yes. right i, I think yes. i think some of it is, there is we more go. hyperbole hyperbole
0: that's the, that's
1: the, that's what i'm saying about okay any anywhere you heard the word metaphor <laughs> it's uh, hyperb- just hyperbole. add in hyperbole instead yes
0: so yeah so some scholars are, are saying are are starting to come to this idea that it's uh warlike hyperbole because the Canaanites exist. The Amorites exist. The Hittites exist. The Moabites exist. I mean I mean Ruth was a Moabite. Um, so you know I, I I I think what it comes down to, this is what this is what it comes down to. When you when you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, um, what about oh the God of the Old Testament seems you know brutal and and you know just kills, kills, kills. The God of the New Testament is Jesus, and he's all about love, and and it just kind of seems like it butt head, butts heads. Um, I think the 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 thing to really help in in the journey of trying to view these passages is to look at it through the lens of of Christ, because Christ says that everything written in the Old Testament was to testify of Him. I mean, you have Isaiah in the book of Isaiah, you have this suffering servant who comes and actually conquers in a nonviolent way by giving his own life. Right? And so so you have nonviolence in the old testament, but then it also seems like you have some violence. Now, the Bible doesn't shy away from things that aren't good. I mean there's, it doesn't condone everything it records. Yeah, it, it, it records it, yeah, it, it records. records a history. Yeah, but, but it's also fascinating that what it doesn't record, what it leaves out, almost also makes a statement. Because if God was really bloodthirsty, He could have written down in in warlike psalm or whatever after a big battle what it was like, just like other kingdoms have done and documented. And so, really, the Israelite culture was significantly less brutal and i think a theme you can find a theme consistently throughout the bible from from genesis all the way through revelation is that god is seeking to restore the the peace mm-hmm. that used to be in the in the with the least amount of force and i think when you when you look at it through that lens what you ultimately see is a beautiful picture of god realizing that the best way to do that is for himself to descend, come down and die ultimately taking kingdom like authority back. Yeah. And and I mean I that's, can see that. Yeah. I that's just I mean and that's beautiful, you know, that he would yeah. do it in a I'm going to lay my life down. I'm I'm going to come he could have at any time just you know, yeah, he could have
1: smote anyone he wanted exactly, at any point. At any at any point. He could but have it, sodom and Gomorrah at any exactly. any, but any in, place. But
0: instead, you know, he comes down and he dies. And, and an interesting point with, with uh you know with with that is there is judgment in the Bible. There is a judgment theme. Yeah. Before before Israel goes into captivity, God tells Abraham, hey, you know, the um, the judgment or the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, and I mean, and in Leviticus, I mean, it's a pretty neglected book uh, by your average everyday Bible reader. I mean, I myself don't really enjoy reading the book of Leviticus. I don't have a lawyer's brain. Um, I'm not that that way. But even in Leviticus, it said it gives reason for why the Amorites, why the Hittites, why the Canaanites were driven out and it's because of their wickedness and their wicked deeds and, and things like that and so I don't necessarily think we have to answer for God but I but I think that there is a judgment theme and, and ultimately God is judge and he knows the biggest picture he has the biggest picture
1: well and I think I think to, to your point I, I look at the story of Jonah as kind of uh, almost like an example of all of the Old Testament all of those cities that were driven out uh, in Canaan, because I, I look at the story of Jonah and he's called into the city Nineveh because in the Hebrew, literally their evil has come up in God's face or before his nose, right? So it's right up in his face and we're given the behind the scenes of that judgment, right? We're not given the behind the scenes of any judgment for any other city. We're given this tiny little snapshot. And so if you're just reading scripture and you just see the city randomly destroyed, you may not know or understand any of their sins, any of their iniquity. And I'm not, I'm not saying I do, but I can't help but wonder if God may have sent a messenger ahead of them, of the armies, to say repent, or this is coming for you, or judgment is coming for you, or or otherwise. And, and what I find funny with Nineveh is he didn't even say repent; he just said forty days until the city's destroyed. And and Nineveh and decided, they and they just repented on their own yeah. in a hope, right? So I, I think, I think there's always more to both sides of that
0: as well. And 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 I would agree with you because when when Israel is traveling to the Promised Land and they're Coming up upon these kingdoms and whatever, if a kingdom extended peace, Israel didn't wipe them out. Israel didn't go in and go to war against them. They had peace. Yeah. It was the kingdoms that weren't extending peace to Israel.
1: Oh man. Okay. So you you guys have to know. I just I that scared that scared the living daylights out of me. So we're we're by my front door, and all of a sudden I hear this scratching sound behind me. And this piece, of, this thing just emerges from my door. My apartment complex just handed us a letter through my door and it scared both of us. Oh, my man. heart just dropped. I was about to have to practice nonviolent peacemaking <laughs> right in the middle of this conversation. So this has been a wonderful time of uh, yeah. interruptions today. Yeah. Whew, no, all but... right. Uh...
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think like, I think that's just, it just continues with the theme. Like really you can see in the Old Testament yeah. that, that there was a... There was a a emphasis on trying to establish peace, mm. um, and if if, uh, if peace was not able to be established, it's almost like there was a judgment.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so this is I you know I appreciate this discussion. I I, I do a lot. I think I think these are some questions that people wrestle with a lot, mm-hmm. and I think um, I, I think there's there's also another school of thought out there that says that those descriptions of God saying to do this were attributions to God written by the Israelites. And yes. so there's, there's this school of thought that says that God didn't actually order it, but the Israelites, just as culture did back then, yeah. you know, if, if a soldier does something on behalf of his country, it's ascribed to, it, it's, it's credited to the king, yeah. whether it's good or bad, right? And Israel's king if, was... If, if some soldier kills, you know, I hate to use the, the political tension right now, but maybe I can use the Cold War as an example. If a U.S. soldier killed a Russian in the middle of the Cold War, in the height of the Cold War. It'd be the it, U.S. It, killed, a be the US oh, yeah. killed a Russian. It'd be the U.S. killed a Russian. It wouldn't be this one dude killed a Russian. Yeah. Or So there's this idea that that it's attributed to God because the Israelites carried it out. Um, and, and that was how every culture was. If the Canaanites, if the Moabites, if any of these, yeah. if the Babylonians did this, it's their gods that allowed them to do it and it's attributed to them as a success. And so there is a school of thought out there that says that. Now, I think that does open you up to some different implications, but... The reason I bring that up is because I think it's okay to hold your Christian faith and still have some different schools of thought on this. And so that's okay. Um, and I'm sorry for my dog still growling. It just is what it is. So I, I just want to encourage people with that as, as well. So we've gone into this a bit. Let me ask you this. Uh, for those who have uh, relatives or friends who are veterans or for those who are veterans themselves, how can we... How can we embrace nonviolence while paying proper honor and respect to those who have fought and died protecting us, right? Because it sounds like with this, we're saying like, we don't want war. We don't want violence. We're saying that this is inherently sinful in and of itself. But what about a soldier who's just fighting because that's what he had to? What about those who were drafted and had no choice or... Or otherwise, like, are we? You know, how how far does this go? Are we condemning them? Are we not? How do we How do we respond to those who have fought and died, paying respect for the sacrifice that they made, um, and still have this conversation?
0: Yeah, I think, um, and I mean, and this is this is a difficult area because, I mean, you don't you don't want to come across as unpatriotic. You don't want to come across as uh, being disrespectful to because people in the military they sacrifice a lot. Um, I mean, their families go through, you know, hardships when they're away and, uh, and you know, there's just a whole bag of, of things that they, uh, that they sacrifice. And, and so I think, you know, I think it's still, as a follower of Jesus, I think we should, um, I wouldn't necessarily say pay respect, but I think we should just, in general, be respectful to everyone. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily think we should honor soldiers more so than like the, you know, the garbage man. Um, or you know, the store clerk or anything like that. Because uh, you're they, gonna make
1: enemies today. They're
0: they're functioning in an office. I mean, now mm-hmm. granted, they do sacrifice a lot. Um, but um, regardless of you know, not talking about a draft, but they did sign up for it in a draft that's different, right? But if if they join the military, they they understood the sacrifices they were making, right? Yeah. People who who are in the music business, who are professional artists, like they understand. The sacrifice they make to be on the road all the time, even if, if they have a family and the family can't go with them, homeschooling mothers understand the sacrifice that they're making to bring up their own children. You know, like we we tend to glamorize that sacrifice because we're Americans and to fight to defend our country is a very big honor, right? But there are people around this country who make tons of sacrifices every single day that don't get um, that don't necessarily get the notoriety that a soldier gets. Um, I do think as a Christian, we should wrestle with the concept of being ordered to kill someone. Mm -hmm. If we're going to follow Jesus, I do think that we should really, 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 really wrestle with that. And I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, don't go and join the military. I would just say as an 18 year old, if you're going to join the military as a Christian, I think you should be wrestling with the fact that one day you will be asked to potentially you will potentially be asked to kill someone if you're. You know uh you know gonna see combat um there are positions in the military that you that you won't um you might be a part of something that ends up killing someone um, a drone strike or you know something like that right but um but but i do think we should be respectful but i think we should be respectful for everyone and honor the sacrifices that that everyday people make um when it comes to a draft Right. I think the whole point of being a nonviolent peacemaker is to seek ways to love your enemy. And I think it goes back to Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss didn't get drafted. He, he joined and he went and he did so seeking to do it in the best way possible. Uh, Not wanting to, to take lives, but to save lives. And I think that's really powerful because ultimately we need to realize that like America will leave America will will, will die America will stop existing at some point right and so are so yes I, I um, I'm very thankful to be in this country yes I'm very thankful that that we have the ability to even engage in this dialogue and that we can talk about Jesus and and it can be broadcasted and, and all of those things. Um, and so I'm not saying that oh you know we need to just completely do away with our military or whatever, but I do think as a Christian we should be seeking ways to love our enemies, and not kill our enemies. Gotcha.
1: So you and I right now to get a license to register to vote, you have to sign up for a selective service. You have to sign up for the draft, right? So if someone if if the if the government drafts you today tomorrow you get a letter that says you have to sign up. Are you? going to, uh, I forget what the term is, but non-combatant. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to go in and be a non-combatant or are you going to, are you going to go to jail for it? Like what, you, what, what would you do tomorrow? Or do you not know? That's okay if you don't know. Well, that's fine. No, I I mean, get...
0: I mean, I, as, as a follower of Jesus, I would, I would seek to be a non-combatant. I would seek to be either be a medic to try to save lives. Um, but, but only because my allegiance really is to Christ. I'm not saying that my allegiance is not to my country. So right. you're
1: saying that being drafted or being in the military isn't necessarily against the calling of a Christian, but the the actions or behaviors you take, I w- while I w- inside might be. I would say
0: I'm I'm wrestling with Christians joining the military. I know that's kind of yeah, you know, a, a sensitive. It just, issue. it always goes this way, so yeah. it's fine. I think it's we kind should of touch it's on kind it. of. A, I mean, it's kind of a sensitive issue. I'm wrestling with it, and not you know, right now I have I have friends who are in the military, you know, and. Um, and I'm, I don't think that in any way I'm disrespecting them um, because people know what they sign up for when they join the military. Um, I, I have respect for them because they're my friends and they're individuals and they have a life and I want them to know Jesus. I hope that they never have to kill someone hmm. so that they never have to go through that because I can't imagine what it would be like to know that you took yeah. somebody else's life, right? But I do think I do think that if we're going to take following Jesus seriously, that we should seek to walk the same way that He walked, and that is by loving even those who are our enemies. Because ultimately, if if we die in the process, that's not the end for us. Yeah. It's not. As a Christian, we have a we have a hope of everlasting life, and so for me to get fixated on this life is really not having faith that I'm going to have that. That everlasting life, um, and so if if it comes down to where I have to be imprisoned because of my faith, because I'm not willing to bear arms, I'm, I'm I'd rather just go in and try to save lives. Then you know, then I have to then I have to face that point when I get there. Um, but I do think, as a follower of Christ, we should be seeking to to try to establish peace in the most nonviolent way.
1: Yeah, I I would I would agree for the most part. I think. Um, I, I would add two things I, I think some would counter with. I have the right. It's my right as a created person. It's a right as a human being to bear arms. it's my right this way or my right that way. Um, and I think a lot of Christianity and following Christ calls you to lay aside your rights. Mm-hmm. I and mean, God has a right to be God. Jesus had a right to be God because he was. Yeah. And he set that right aside. He gave that up and became human. Um, there are times where you give up your rights for the good or the benefit of others. There's Philippians 2 that says, uh, count, yeah. yourselves more, count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah. And so I think there are times where, yeah, you do say, I'm going to lay aside my rights for the good of someone else. That would that would be uh, number one for that. Number two is this. There might be some people who are listening who hear this and they're like, I can never do that or I can never do that or um, that's not me or I disagree or I don't see it that way, whatever. If the totality or the sum of your actions is based on what I or what Luke or what anyone else say or says, there's a problem. Because ultimately, Luke and I can't tell you exactly what to do in every single situation. That is kind of dependent on the gray area between, you know, in the relationship of you and and Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given wisdom, you've been given discernment, and you should be growing with Christ to the point that you are praying in those situations and he does give you the discernment to know what to do. We are not the final authority on this. No, no. Not, not at all. all. Neither of us are saying that, but I think we're trying to explore an area that that is kind of it's hard ground to explore right now, especially with everything being so politically charged. It yeah. just is. Yep. And I think we're trying to explore it in a way that I, I, I do agree. I actually think this is very Christ like. I think this is a very this is the Christian attitude to take of saying, How can I seek to be a nonviolent peacemaker? I've been in I've been that in my family. I've been that with friends. How can I okay. seek to make violence not a part of what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, how can I seek to make peace the center of everything I'm doing in making peace? And it's not the hippie attitude it's not the the left attitude it's not the far left attitude it's not the liberal attitude all right i'm not saying that i'm going to come and take away your guns there are plenty of peacemakers that shoot guns recreationally yep right like it's not that it's not a political move this is simply us saying look we are christ followers this is what christ seemed to live and this is how we're gonna try to live i think that's kind of where we're at what do you yeah yeah i would I would first off. I think
0: you stated that beautifully. Um, I think anyone who's a Christian who is going to take Jesus seriously, take following Jesus seriously, is going to is going to eventually wrestle with these issues, just because our world is so violent, and we come across violence every single day. Yeah. Um, Whether that's through what we watch on TV, whether that's through movies, whether that's through the news, whether that's through first, you know, first through our eyes um and so i think as a christian we should seek to be able to have answers on how we should respond not not to tell someone how to respond i know that's kind of um how this podcast might come across right but but so that we know how to respond as a follower of christ because i just want to i just want to to know christ i just want to follow him um wherever he goes wherever he's willing to take me Um, and, and I just, I ultimately want people to know that they're loved by him, um, that they have a, that they have a savior. Um, and, and I think with the gospel commission, it, it, that goes through being willing to lay down our lives, lay down my life in order for you to know about Jesus. And I mean, Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, but to lay down your life for your friend. And I know it's his friend, but ultimately as Christians, I think everyone should be our friend. I don't think we should ever have an enemy.
1: If you seek to see someone in heaven with you, man, heaven's going to be an awkward place if you've got enemies in the church. Yeah. If you've got enemies anywhere that are going to be in heaven, like, man, how are you going to react to that? Because there's no tears in heaven. There's no, no yeah. in the new yeah. earth. There's no. There's none of that, right? Yeah. So you, you better can... get to learn to get along with them now. <laughs> and you can't fight them there. Yeah, you definitely can't fight <laughs> yeah. them there. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I
0: agree. Yeah, and I and so I just think like, you know, I I think that man, if Christ thought it was so important to to establish peace again through the most nonviolent way possible, which is himself dying. Then I think as a, as his follower, I should take that pretty seriously and try to live a life that is glorifying to that sacrifice. Um, And if that gets me ridiculed by people who, you know, don't want to give up guns um, to defend themselves or, you know, don't want to give up their, tempers or don't want to give up you know oh i would do this if somebody came into my house then you know that's that's their choice but but i think that that does a disservice to the sacrifice that christ gave um because he died for us he died for me
1: i i would agree and i i I think there's one last thing that i have to say these are my final thoughts on the matter and then i'll ask you for yours um but I think the biggest hurdle that I think a lot of people have, whether Christian or non-Christian, is the violent God of the Old Testament. I think that's one of the biggest questions that people are asking. And the last thing I want to say to that is, is while God is the same beginning, middle, and end of time, he's the same throughout history, I think that's in substance of character. That's not in methodology. You know, we don't see God's chosen people, quote unquote, going on holy wars right now. Um, and we, And if we do, we don't see them, we don't exactly agree with them. <laughs> put it that way right uh it's pretty clear in the new testament that most of god's methodology now goes straight through jesus christ pretty much everything goes through jesus christ and as mediator as a high priest is all of that i mean it straight through that and while there was room for the holy wars and 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 all of that the these holy conquests so to speak in the old testament we don't see that in the new testament anymore in fact we see christians laying down their lives on a regular basis to foreign and, and foreign military powers exactly and so I would say that God's methodology methodology has changed. And so even if there is someone who says, "Yeah, I God has p- spoken directly to me and I'm supposed to fight this or I'm supposed to kill these people or I'm supposed to do this." I would say that's not in harmony with what scripture has taught us and and where we're at. I don't think it is. I I can't see any reading of scripture that that would advocate for a current war even if even if it seems like the heavens opened and god directly spoke to you i think i think satan's a really good deceiver yeah and a really good adversary that can convince other people and so i um i just don't see that so i would say god's methodology has changed uh, throughout history in the way he relates with his creation and i think right now he relates to his creation through jesus christ and i think that's how he's intended to do it for the rest of time i don't i just don't see a difference there so that's my final thoughts on the matter and maybe that helps someone maybe it doesn't that's fine this is your journey, so take it. Uh, but Luke, give us your final thoughts on this yeah. matter. Anything you want to leave our listeners with?
0: Yeah, I would just, uh, I would just say, um, whenever you're struggling uh, through the Old Testament or even through the New Testament, um, to to look at it through the lens of the life of Christ, um, because ultimately it's all about it's all about Jesus. Um, I mean, Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. Um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he's the um, the Messiah who has come, um, and and so I, I think it's just it's just important that whenever you're like, wait, this doesn't seem to measure up with the character of Christ, right, or or the revelation of God through the person of Christ, then I think that maybe you should just table it until you can see Christ mm. in that situation, because ultimately. Um, like you said, God God doesn't doesn't change in His character, and um, and so if, if it seems like wait, but God is doing this, and it kind of seems contrary contradictory to to who Jesus is, I would say that you haven't grasped it, and you because you haven't grasped it, when you go and tell somebody else your thought about it, then it would actually be the um, the wrong thought. Um, and so I think until you can see Jesus in that passage, you really haven't fully understood what it, it's its intended meaning. Um, and by seeing Jesus in it, see his character, um, of, or
1: the result of his lack of or, or of his absence of yeah, character, yeah. right? Or
0: yeah, or the, the um, him not necessarily him remaining silent, but, but that the absence of of his character, right? The wrongness. That yeah, um,
1: what happens when G- when people choose something other
0: than Jesus. Yes, and and so, um, and I think when you do that, you'll be you'll be in a pretty good spot. You'll be on your way to to truly wrestling with what does it mean to follow Christ in today's context, um, because ultimately that's what that's that's what as a Christian, I mean, I'm all about. I hope other Christians are all about because um, because to be a Christian means to just to simply follow Jesus, um, and and I just want to thank you for uh, for having me on your podcast
1: yeah man i I'm super glad that you came uh, you drove three and a half hours to be here we rock climbed a bit and today but it, it you know I, I really do appreciate you coming out all this way I look forward to having you on again and I really appreciate you 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 diving into some of these more difficult things I, I get um, that this is a journey for both of us. And I think I've learned a bit um, about the importance of nonviolence. I think Sugar, my dog, has also learned a bit about the importance of nonviolence. So been
0: giving us amens all day,
1: uh, all, amens all day. So I, you know, I appreciate you, Luke. I, I appreciate your journey and, and for you sharing your experience with us. Um, so. With that, um, is there any way that you would like or prefer for people to follow up with you afterwards if they have questions, or would you just say, "Hey, email me," and then I'll I'll pass them and connect them to you?
0: Yeah, I mean they could. I mean they could shoot me like a like a tweet. I don't have Facebook, so yeah, true. Um, but I mean it's Pastor Luke Steen um, is the is the Twitter handle, and um, or the, yeah, they could email you, and um, you could. I mean if they want to send out like a type, I mean tweet is like what hundred forty yeah yeah, so um, so, but if they if they wanted to to dialogue or something like that, they could reach out to you and and get my email or something, so okay,
1: great, awesome well, thank you so much, Luke, and with that we'll sign off I am so thankful for Luke, I'm so thankful for that conversation that we got to have about nonviolent peacemaking, and I'm happy because even if you don't agree, even if even if you think that there is a place for violence in the Christian walk or whatever, I think at what this does is it gives us room to think. It gives us cause to think. It causes us to rethink our positions. It causes us to be critical of ourselves to say, is the way that I'm walking the right way? And this definitely challenged me. And as you could probably tell, there's some areas that, hey, we haven't figured out yet. That's okay. That's why it's a journey. And I'm just so excited to be a part of that journey and and to be on one myself. And so I do hope you enjoyed this episode with Luke Steen on nonviolent peacemakers. I do want to let you know, if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ryan180becker at gmail.com. You can reach out to me there. I'm interested in talking about whatever is passionate, whatever God has put a passion in your heart for, whatever you have a big heart for or a focus on, I'm more than happy to talk with you about it. And you can follow us on iTunes. You can follow us on any of the podcast feeders out there. Just search for The Absurdity, and you'll find us there. If you do follow us on iTunes, I'm going to ask, please, please, please leave a review. Please leave a review. Even if you hate me, leave a review anyways. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I have no problem with that. Feedback helps. Feedback definitely, definitely helps. So you can reach out to me and let me know. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find The Absurdity on Twitter at absurdity underscore cast. And I look forward to dialoguing and and creating a larger conversation with each of you. So thank you so much for listening, for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I appreciate and I'm so excited for the future of absurdity and what is coming next. We'll see you next time.